what is good everyone man uh let me know if y'all can hear me in the chat uh live stream number two of the day we had a three hour live stream earlier today about prom headed to colorado so listen i will take calls at the end of the show and i'm cool if you want to ask about it and you know give your opinion but we're, we're, we're trying to talk strictly X's and O's on this episode because we're going to talk about the second round of the FCS playoffs and we're going to recap the SWAC championship and my time in Jackson. My first time at a Jackson State game was amazing, man. The SWAC championship, the environment was electric and I got to meet and talk to a lot of amazing people, man. So anyone that I met this weekend or got to speak to, I, I appreciate y'all, man. The fact that I had people stop their cars in the middle of the road just to roll down the window or get out, uh, pull over and get out on the street, man, just just to dap me up and say what's up, man. It, a surreal, surreal experience, man. And it still blows my mind that there's people that watch the show and, and, and support like that, man. So appreciate all of you guys. But, um, man, the second round of the playoffs was insane. Jackson claims their second uh, straight uh, SWAC championship goes to the Celebration Bowl now to face uh, North Carolina Central, the 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 MIAC, uh, the MIAC champion. And, man, Ryan, I saw that. I was watching the game in the press room at the SWAC championship, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I decided not to go to Holy Cross this weekend. It looked miserable. Even the people in the stands looked like they were extremely unhappy, man. It was ugly up there. And I mean, that 7-5 to five halftime score was also pretty ugly, I'll have to say. Uh, luckily, the SWAC championship, it rained in Jackson, I think, the night before and a little bit in the morning. But luckily, we didn't we didn't get no rain down in Jackson. I thought it it got really, really cloudy. If anyone in the chat was in Jackson, man, it was about the first or second quarter, man, there was a huge, huge dark cloud that, like, came over the stadium. And the wind kind of picked up and it looked like it was going to pour down rain. And I was going to be sick. I didn't bring any of the stuff to, like, keep my camera dry. Or, or anything like that just because I thought it wasn't going to rain. And, man, I, I was I, I was sick. If it, if it started raining, I was going to be upset, man. <laughs> but um, before we get into the X's and O's, man, I do want to say I, I was going to talk about this on Friday's show, but, you know, I got I got called up traveling to, to, to Jackson. Uh, G.J. Kenny, uh, head coach at Incarnate Word, has officially accepted the Texas State job. Um, you know, everyone thought he was going to be a lock for the Tulsa head coach job and the Tulsa head coach opening, but it looks like they've kind of shifted their focus to Brennan Marion, former OC over at Howard. He's a Texas wide receiver coach and GJ Kenny. Um, uh, he made a kind of a weirder move to Texas state. I feel like when you look at the history of Texas state, it's an extremely, extremely, um, a, a tough job to succeed in. Texas State's never made a bowl appearance. They've only had two seasons in school history at the 500 uh, level or higher at the, when it was, since they've moved to FBS. He's replacing Jake Spavital, who was hired from Texas A&M, who went 13 and 35 over those four seasons. And I talked a little bit about what Kenny has accomplished in his uh, coaching career. And this the, the craziest part is Kenny – replaced Morris as the head coach in Incarnate Word. And it ends up coming out that Kenny got the job over Eric Morris at Texas State. Eric Morris was the head coach in Incarnate Word right before G.J. Kenny and is the OC at Washington State 
where Cameron Ward now plays. But Incarnate Word has back-to-back head coaches hired away to the FBS level, and now there's a major question mark on who's going to be the next head coach at Incarnate Word. I I think I won't be surprised if Incarnate Word hires from the inside potentially. I think the OC could be a nice option, but I think they're probably going to stick with that offensive-minded head coach. They got plenty of weapons coming back. And we know Incarnate Word has made their money on explosive offenses, so I don't see them changing anything. So I would expect an offensive-minded hire and someone who could recruit the state of Texas and across that Louisiana to Mississippi to Alabama and even Florida pipeline. Man, they're going to try to keep it southern, but the Texas roots are going to have to be a part of this hire. And I would I would not be surprised if it's a familiar name taking the head coach job in Incarnate Word. But back-to-back head coaches – are, have been hired away. Now, uh, G.J. Kenny will coach Incarnate Word throughout their playoff run. He led them to a win this weekend in the second round and will coach to, and will coach the quarterfinals game this weekend. But as soon as their playoff run comes to an end, he will be stepping away and taking the Texas State head coaching job um, after the season. He said, uh, Ryan said he felt like he could have stuck around another year and probably had more opportunities next year. Yeah, li- listen, he's a Texas guy. And he mentioned that. So if you go watch the interview I had with him at the Southland Media Day, he is just a Texas guy through and through. And I don't think he, I don't, outside of maybe Tulsa, I don't know if there was another job he was going to leave the state of Texas for. He was only going to leave for probably a Texas job or his alma mater in Tulsa. Other than that, I don't think GJ Kenny would have taken another opportunity. I mean, he mentioned that one of the things he did miss, um, when he was over at UCF was the state of Texas. And so I think him and his family have roots here and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just stuck it out at Texas. We'll see. It's going to be really, really hard to turn Texas state into a contender. So I, I'm wishing him the best, man. I love GJ Kenny, one of the best coaches to talk to. And I was really, really looking to covering him throughout his career at the FCS, but I'm wishing him all the best at Texas state for Eric Morris to be in the running for the Texas State job just means who should have stayed at UIW would have had three Southland titles in five years. That's fair, Michael. I I, I agree with you there. I don't know how uh, Texas State's going to be a tough place to to win. Um, but man, let's get into these round two matchups. And before we get into my SWAC championship recap, Montana State man had to start it out here. Had to start it out with Montana State. 33-25 win over Weber State this weekend in the rematch that I think this was probably the game of the week of the first round. There was a lot of talk on whether Weber State would be able to do anything different this time. Remember, they they lost on the four-safety game against Montana State where they gave up eight points on special teams. And Montana State left no doubt in this one. They took a 33-10 to 10 lead. Weber State scores two late touchdowns to make it look more respectable. But the Bobcats rushed th- for 388 yards and averaged over seven yards per carry as a team. Tommy Malott had a big day. We finally got to see the first appearance of Isaiah Afonzi, All-American running back. And on defense, man, Montana State was just able to consistently get Weber State off the field. And when you're running the football for 400 yards, man, you dominate the time of possession. And Weber State's defense, I think, really wore down late in this game, especially in around the third quarter. They just could not get off the field, man. Uh, They won the time of possession significantly. Montana State held the ball for almost 40 minutes of game time. 
And that's just, that's not a winnable situation at, at all. And I really like the creative play calling that I saw from Montana State this weekend. I feel like they really opened up the playbook for this one. And they're really, last year we saw them kick into another another gear with Tommy Malott and making a run to the national championship. I'm seeing that same sort of momentum and spark that I saw last year in this Bobcats team. Sean Chambers comes in for two big plays, throws two touchdowns on two passes. And Tommy Tommy Malott did his thing on the ground. Isaiah Fonzi, man, when you it, the the ability to create explosive plays consistently it was was impressive for Montana State, but a big win for the Bobcats. They move on to take to host William and Mary next round. And what I think I, I'm I'm looking at flights and everything. My plan is to hopefully be in Bozeman this weekend for Montana State, William & Mary. I'm really, really excited for that one. I'm hoping to be able to get up there and get to that game up in the cold, up in Bozeman, Montana. But Incarnate Word, Furman, one of the more I – th- I was really, really surprised on how this game turned out or played out. I thought, Fur- I thought Furman was going to be able to somewhat match the – I, I thought they could potentially overwhelm Incarnate Word with their physicality and run the football more efficiently. But Incarnate Word's front seven had a hell of a game. They held Dominic to, to they they held Dominic Roberto to less than sixty yards per uh, uh, in the game in, in rushing, which is one of his lowest outputs of the year. Less than four yards per carry for Roberto, who was a thousand yard rusher this year. Tyler Huff led led Furman in both passing and rushing this week. Lindsey Scott threw an unfortunate and very untimely pick six early in the game to give Furman the lead, and he just kept bouncing back. I don't know if y'all saw the play. I can't post it because of copyright issues with the NCAA, but I don't know if if no if you have not seen Lindsey Scott's first touchdown of the game, which was I think number two on Sports Center's top ten plays on Saturday night, it was honestly the most ridiculous play I've ever seen. I mean, he threw it on a uh, – he hit Darian Chafin somehow pretty much off his back. I mean, he was level with the ground about – had to be less than a foot off the ground and just tossed it and hit Darian Chafin for a huge touchdown. But Lindsey Scott throws for 394, five touchdowns, and leads Incarnate Word in rushing with 124 rushing yards this weekend. It was the Lindsey Scott show. Marcus Cooper also rushed for over 100 yards on the ground. It's just the ability for Incarnate Word to consistently put up yards and be explosive on offense. And their defense made some opportunistic plays. They forced two big interceptions from Tyler Huff, which really kept them in the game. And it was mistakes early by Incarnate Word that I think made this game a lot closer than expected. The two interceptions from Lindsey Scott led to points for Furman, and it just consistently seemed like Incarnate Word kept them in. Furman took a late lead 38-34, but Lindsey Scott made, made a game-winning drive with less than two minutes left on the clock to get them to their first-ever quarterfinals. They're traveling to take on Sacramento State, and I think stylistically that's going to be an extremely interesting matchup. But Incarnate Word... Lindsey Scott, they utilized the offense, quiet the distractions of G.J. Kenny, headed off to Texas State to get a 41-38 win over Furman. Now, two blowouts. We'll go over them quickly. They left no doubt. South Dakota State was probably the most dominant team 
in the like in the country this past weekend. They put on an absolute route of Delaware, and it was never even close. Like, never. They were dominant from the jump, held Delaware scoreless, held Delaware to less than 150 passing yards on the day, totaled three sacks, and held Delaware to under two yards per carry in this matchup. There was zero offensive production for Delaware. And then you also had Isaiah Davis going for 100 yards, two touchdowns, averaging over seven yards per carry. And South Dakota State put up 200 yards rushing and four touchdowns. And on top of that, Mark Gronikowski was efficient. He doesn't really put the ball in the air a lot. But when he does, man, 131 and a big passing touchdown, South Dakota State is going to go as far as their defense takes them. That's it. It's going to be extremely difficult for some of these teams in the later rounds that like to run the football. It's going to be it's going to be a tough matchup for them because South Dakota State absolutely shuts down the run week in and week out. Only two teams have topped the 100 yard mark on them, and they have not gotten that far. And South, and South Dakota State won both of those games anyway. They are so good on the defensive side of the ball. Savion Williamson was a guy who hasn't been a contributor all season for the Jacks. He explodes for 11 tackles, and Reese Winkleman was unblockable on the defensive line. Two and a half tackles for loss and two sacks this weekend for the Jacks' defense. They are just so efficient on offense. They're not flashy. They're not going to put up a million yards per game. They're going to hit 400 yards per game. They're going to run the football down your, down your throat. They're going to control the clock. And then their defense is going to absolutely suffocate you. That is their formula to win, and they do it week in and week out so consistently. I do want to say, though, this game ended in a bit of a scare. Um, Delaware had to call the game with about a minute left in the fourth quarter. It was 42-6, to so the game was well out of hand. Uh, they had a player who had to be carted off the field and, you know, they said he had movement all his extremities, man. So I'm praying for him and his family. But they had to call the game due to a due to an extremely scary injury to a Delaware player after after a huge hit from South Dakota State, man. So I just want to say prayers out to his family, and I'm hoping he's okay. But a dominant performance from South Dakota State kind of kind of was overshadowed by by a really really terrifying moment on the field, man. So I'm really really hoping that guy's okay. Um, but South Dakota State moves on. They're going to be hosting Holy Cross next weekend in a matchup where Holy Cross is going to have to prove some stuff. There's a lot of people saying that Holy Cross hasn't, quote-unquote, proven themselves because of the conference they play in. We're going to find out if Holy Cross is legit next weekend against South Dakota State. Now, William and Mary, they left no doubt either. 54-14 over Gardner-Webb. It was 34 to nothing going into halftime, and Darius Wilson, that was his best performance of his entire career That that since he's been at William & Mary. And by far, his best performance. 14 for 24, 243 touchdowns, no sacks, and led the tribe in rushing with 89 rushing yards, averaging 11 yards per carry this weekend for the tribe. And they just used a by-committee approach, man. Darius Wilson, Donovan Lester, Bronson Yoder, uh, Matthias uh, Lajor, all these guys carried the load for William and Mary as they ran for 306 yards, three touchdowns, average almost seven yards per carry against Gardner Webb. The defense had zero answers, and on defense, they forced six turnovers. 
Yes, William and Mary for six turnovers this weekend, including four interceptions. Ty Freeland had two of them, and they were just able to consistently take the ball away from Gardner-Webb and turn those turnovers into points. They From six turnovers, they scored 38 points off of six turnovers, and that was the difference in the game. The quarterbacks could not establish any rhythm for Gardner-Webb, and when I talked to um, when, when I talked to Mike London in the press conferences earlier this week, he said the biggest thing for, for William and Mary was they could not let Gardner Webb jump out to an early lead. That's really what caused Eastern Kentucky some problems is they allowed Gardner Webb to jump out to a, to an early lead, establish their pace of the game and that they were, they were able to kind of get Eastern Kentucky off of what they did best. And William and Mary did not let that happen. They forced early turnovers and, and got this game out of hand and Gardner Webb was not prepared. They tried to establish the run. Nari Gaither averaged seven yards per carry, but zero 100 yard rushers allowed for William and Mary, which was an extremely, extremely solid performance against an explosive running Bulldogs offense. But William and Mary has to face Montana state next week, uh, this upcoming weekend in a huge quarterfinals matchup. Now, these four games, you've really got to break them down. <clears throat> North Dakota State. I, I want you, I want everyone to listen to me as closely as possible. Because this the, these are these are stats that are not made up that <laughs> that North Dakota State ran for four hundred and fifty-three yards, six touchdowns, and as a team. As a team, like this is the entire team, including sack yards, averaged 10.8 yards per carry. 453, six touchdowns, and 10.8 yards per carry this weekend for the Bison. And this is without Hunter Lipke, who is their All-American fullback and their leading rusher this season, and their leading rusher for the past two seasons. Kobe Johnson, I had him on the show this past offseason, by far his best performance. He had a huge performance in the national championship game, had a big run there to help the Bison close out Montana State last season. Kobe Johnson, 206, two touchdowns on 12 carries. Kobe Johnson averaged 17.2 yards per carry this weekend as the number one running back for North Dakota State, not even including Tameric Williams putting up almost 10 yards per carry, 100 yards and a touchdown. They just had their way with Montana's front seven. They could not stop North Dakota State, and they got everything and anything they wanted all game, pretty much all game long. And the Grizz were able to kind of close the gap because they had a big pick six. It was 21-20 with 10 minutes left in the third quarter, and the Bison were able to just pull away 28-6 to over the final 25 minutes of the game, including a 28-0 run up until late in the fourth quarter. It was just pure, pure domination, man. And North Dakota State forced three turnovers, two of which were defensive touchdowns as well. Cole, Cole Wisniewski had a fumble recovery, and then Corbin Walker had a pick six early in the third quarter that really broke the game open. And both of those – and the, the both interceptions in the second half led to points even on the offensive side of the ball, and it helped make it 35-20 to 20 where the game never was close after that. And Dan, Daniel Britt threw two big interceptions. They were they were sacked six times. Lucas Johnson and Daniel Britt were sacked to combine six times. And it was North Dakota State's front seven 
and their offensive line that made all the difference in the world. And every single time there was a there was any crease, a hole, they were able to be explosive in terms of in terms of the running game. And I will say this. I love Hunter Lipke, and he has his moments, and he's, <clears throat> excuse me, he was big, physical, whatever you want to say. I just think when th- when he's out of the game, one thing that Kobe Johnson, Tamaric Williams, and um, and and the other, I would say, the running backs in that system have is they have that big playability where it's like, man, if they hit a crease, they are gone. Like the speed that they bring is kind of like a thunder and lightning punch is just different. And I think combined with that offensive line that creates huge holes while Lipke seeks contact, those guys are looking for space. And if they see green, it is, they are gone, man. They, they, they are, it's just ridiculous, man. And North Dakota state can keep this rolling, man. I think they really made a statement this weekend where if they can do it again to Sanford in, in the quarterfinals, man, you're looking at a team that came into the playoffs a little bit of low on on hype. Man, it, it, they, they could do it again, man. And we're, we're talking about championship number 10. Number 10 for North Dakota State at the FCS level. But uh, one, of, one of the probably the best games of the weekend, Sanford, Southeastern Louisiana. This was an overtime game. Southeastern Louisiana played two, two back-to-back overtime games, and this time they weren't able to pull it out, man. They, Cephas Johnson was stripped, headed to the end zone of the first overtime. The ball hits the pylon. That's a touchback, and Sanford was able to go score um, to to win this game. But this game was defined by injuries too. Sanford. I've talked about Michael Hires all season long. Michael Hires gets hurt extremely early in the game, and Quincy um, Crittenton steps in. True freshman. Quincy is a true freshman. He steps in and has the performance of his life. You have a Walter Payton Award finalist who gets hurt. This is a guy that set the NCAA record for completion percentage, and Quincy didn't even blink. He throws for 314, four touchdowns, no no interceptions, and leads Sanford in rushing yards with 94 rushing yards and the game-winning touchdown on the ground. This is a team in Sanford that was picked to finish sixth in their conference. No one gave them a chance all year long. They fight their way to a seed with the JUCO quarterback and Michael Hires. He goes down in their first playoff game against a team that has now had two back-to-back years of winning playoff games in southeastern Louisiana, steps up as a true freshman and puts up almost 400, over 400 yards of total offense and five touchdowns with zero turnovers in his first ever start when he wasn't even expected to play. He's got to be one of the players of the week this week. He had an absolute ridiculous performance. you got to give Sanford all the credit in the world because most teams in a playoff game could not overcome losing their starting quarterback to injury unexpectedly. Give some credit to Kendall Watson. Seven seven receptions, 110 receiving yards, and a big touchdown. Judd Crockett had two big touchdowns as well through the air. Sanford was consistently able to make plays when they needed it. They took a big lead late. Southeastern Louisiana stole all the momentum. And you can say what you want about Sanford's defense, being porous, not being at the elite level that we expect from a national title contender. 
the one thing you can say about Sanford's defense, they consistently make plays when they're needed. They're not that type of South Dakota State, Jackson State, North Dakota State defense that is just going to be suffocating. What Sanford's going to do is play bend but don't break defense, find opportunistic moments to make big plays and force turnovers when they need it. Just like the just like the fumble set up their way to win. Fred Flavors had a had a huge interception in the end zone. I believe it was late in the second quarter that prevented SLU from tying the game going into halftime. They gave up a lot of yards, but man, even with a backup quarterback, the defense not playing well, they still found a way to win the games. And like I say all the time on this show, good teams, great teams find ways to win games. Even even in a, even in the face of adversity, and even when things aren't really clicking how they're supposed to go, so Sanford huge win. They advanced to they advanced to face North Dakota State. We travel into Fargo for the first ever meeting between North Dakota State and Sanford. This uh, on December 9th. Um, I believe that's the Friday because there's three games on Friday, one on Saturday, and a huge huge matchup in the Fargo Dome. Now, Holy Cross. Ah oh, man, this game was ugly. And me and Ryan were joking earlier in the show about it. The weather was bad. This game was seven to five at halftime. Yes, seven to five at halftime was that was the halftime score. It was it was just an atrocious game early. Neither team could really get much much going. The wind was really affecting the game. But twenty eight second half points for Holy Cross as Matthew Solka accounted for three touchdowns in the second half for Holy Cross. And Peter Oliver had a huge day with over 170 yards on the ground. And Holy Cross dominated the time of possession in this one. And that's something that's a really big theme in the second round of the playoffs is teams that were able to wear down their opponents, especially teams that had a bye, wearing down the opponent of, of guys who had to play last weekend was the theme. And they were, they were just dominant in terms of that. And it was because their ability to shut down the run Dylan Lobby was has been a huge integral part of what New Hampshire does offensively. And they held New Hampshire to 22 yards rushing, one yard per carry. They ran the ball 22 times for 22 yards, and Holy Cross put up 303 yards, four touchdowns, and averaged over five and a half yards per carry. That was the difference in the game. Holy Cross was able to win the line of scrimmage, and even in a bad weather game, when the wind is really taking out the pass, you you gotta you you have to be able to run the football. New Hampshire wasn't. Max Brosmer threw three crucial interceptions. Um, and that that was the difference, man. Three interceptions. Walter Reynolds had two of them and their first drive in the second half. They have they have the chance to drive down, make this game competitive, put some points on the board. New Hampshire, New Hampshire has a big fumble. Holy Cross is able to turn it around and it's 14 to 5 in a blink of an eye, and it really took all the wind out of the sails of what New Hampshire was doing offensively. And yeah, the um, the Montana State game is Friday night. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the only playoff game, the only quarterfinals game, Michael, that isn't on Friday night is this, is the uh, South Dakota State Holy Cross game, and that's an 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday on ESPN. Yes, he did, man. Coming back from injury, he. He he looked great and definitely hit the light button on this on the stream. A day since Sanford and Sac State are sneaky. I didn't think either would make the playoffs, let alone be this good. If we lose to Sanford, I'll take them to win that side of the bracket. Okay. I'm not gonna be biased here, Dave. I'll be I'll be honest with you. 
my dream matchup. I don't I don't know. I don't think it's gonna necessarily happen. My dream matchup would be a semifinal matchup between Sanford and Incarnate Word. Especially if Michael Harris can come back healthy. I mean, you're talking about that those two offenses going up against each other in the semifinals, man. Sign me up all day for that. That would be a dream matchup in the semifinals. Would be the Incarnate Word Sanford matchup. That that game would be so fun to watch. We might have all we might have two hundred points scored in that one. That would be an insane, an insane semifinals matchup in my opinion. But the last game before I get to the SWAT Championship, man, then I'll be taking y'all's calls and comments. Probably about thirty minutes or so because I'm I probably probably won't be on here super long. Man, I had a three hour live stream today, but Sacramento State comes back. To beat Richmond, and th- this was the game. Listen, I went nine and zero on picks this weekend. I was eight and zero for my FCS playoffs picks, and I, I predicted the SWAT championship. Right, I was worried about this one. I was terrified, man. When I looked, and Sac State was down twenty-one to ten, I was sick. It was second quarter, twenty-one to ten. Sac State somehow found a way to throw the football. All year long, the question has been, I've I've came on this show week after week and said, what happens in the playoffs as Sac State's run game gets shut down? Are they going to be able to throw the football against good defenses and find a way to win? And they made their mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Listen, they did three interceptions from Jake Dunaway. But Sac State found a way to throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns this weekend, including Asher O'Hara going for two big touchdowns in this game. And they could not run the football. This was the first time I think anyone's neutralized Cameron Scadabo or Asher O'Hara on the ground. They ran for 72 total yards and only averaged two yards per carry. Scadabo was held to 21 rushing yards, which is I think might be his career low. Really and truly. That was impressive defense by Richmond, especially early. It was this, I don't know if they really prepared for what Marshall Martin and Pierre Williams could bring through the air. Marshall Martin, I've talked about him being one of the most explosive tight ends in FCS. Ten receptions, 148, and two touchdowns this weekend for the Hornets, while Pierre Williams put up 107 and a big touchdown as a deep threat for Sac State. you got to give credit for Sac State. It wasn't pretty. They didn't play their best game, but their defense their defense made stops down the stretch, including a, la- a, a crucial stop late in the game in this one. And it was an interception. Cameron Bruchard, less than two minutes left, sealed this win for Sac State. They weren't able to do what they do well, which is run the football. What they found, they found a way to win, man. You've got to give them credit for passing for 400 yards when they haven't been able to throw like that all season long. So a huge win for Sac State. It's going to be extremely interested to see how they match up against Incarnate Word next week in the quarterfinals. But the final game, uh, SWAC Championship. And, Daniel, I'll let you know, man. I'll hit you up. I'm going to try to be able to go work the game as a photographer. I know I can't film the game, but if I go up there, man, I really want to try to be able to find a way to work as a photographer, man. But I'll let you know. If not, I definitely hook you up for some tickets, man. It's some good tailgate spots up in Montana. But Jackson State wins their wins back-to-back SWAC championships, a 43-24 win over Southern in, in the vet. And 
so I'll speak. Let me speak about my time in Jackson first, man. I had an absolute blast in Jackson. That the the environment was amazing, and a, the 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 fan. I, I think a lot of people have been critical about the fans being involved in the game for Jackson State. I mean, both fan bases from Southern to Jackson State were completely in tune for what was going on. And it was loud. It was an intimidating environment. And the energy in the building was amazing. And I know that there was kind of like a, a dark cloud. It was a little bit awkward because I, I I think with the report coming out the night before the SWAT championship, I was in a hotel in Jackson when that report on prom broke. Uh, I think that took a little bit of the energy out of some people because it was kind of like an awkward bittersweet moment of like everyone kind of knew it was like his last game in the vet, but Dave Jackson came out and they did what I said. I, I said on the round table, I thought this could go one of two ways. The team either gets distracted by the rumors or they, or prime was honest with them and they go out there and try to make a point and go out undefeated with swag champions. And that's what happened. I thought this game, I'll be honest with y'all. I was on the sidelines talking with BJ Jones and after like that first quarter, I was like, man, they, they might have to have a running clock. I mean, everything and anything went wrong for Southern early. With, with the interception, with, with the multiple turnovers, with Jackson walking right down the field, I was like, man, they, they, and they started going for two and getting two. I was like, man, this, this could get ugly. I, I, really th- I, I really thought Jackson was going to absolutely run away with this one. 26 but when it was 26 nothing at the end of the first I, I was like man prom's gonna try to put a hundred on them on his way out he was going to try to put a hundred and uh before I get on Jackson State <clears throat> Dooley has to answer the question this offseason on why in the world but Sean McCray started over Glendon McDaniel Anybody, uh, you don't even have to watch football for your whole life or be a, the, 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 the biggest football mind of all time or a big X's and O's guy or a film guy. I could take someone who has never watched a single snap of football in their life and show them a clip of Bashan McCray this year for Southern and show them the clip of what Mc, Bubba McDaniel did this weekend for Southern and they could point out who should have been the starting quarterback all year. There's no reason. And, and I'm not, this is even hindsight because there's been Southern fans who have called into this show, commented on this show, have talked to me off the record about that Bubba should have been the starting quarterback all year long. And they've been screaming it. And I, I, let me just say this. I talked to some Southern fans on the sideline this weekend. They were pissed. They were pissed. And I'm I'm gonna I talked I talked talk to Zoe about this on the sideline too. If Bubba's a starting quarterback for Southern, I really do think Southern had a chance to go at least eight and three, with their losses being to LSU, Jackson State, and, and probably Fam. I don't think they lose. To, I don't I don't think they get shut out by Texas Southern with Bubba at quarterback. I, I it's just. It blew. He made some mistakes. Don't get me wrong. He threw two picks, one of which was just kind of like a heave late in the game. But his ability to spark the offense and his dual, his real dual threat ability, because some of the design runs that 
Bashan did were great, but his ability to make people miss in the open field was electric. I mean, 162 and two touchdowns this weekend was a huge performance by him on the ground. And he threw for 220 and a big touchdown. And his throw, his his one touchdown that he threw was a dot. He put it perfectly, and the wide receiver made a hell of a play. There was, and you just look at the game, but Sean McCray had 15 yards rushing, was one for two for negative three yards and an interception. He completed as many passes to Jackson State as his own wide receiver. I need I need to make it I, I need I need someone to make it make sense to me. Oh, oh like there is no way. And the, and here's here's the even worse part is that Bubba's a senior, and so you just wasted this dude's whole senior year sitting on the bench for no reason. No reason. It's just, it, it blows my mind. And I'm not saying that he would repeat it. I'm just saying even Jackson State fans can watch that game this weekend and tell you Bubba was the better quarterback. Regardless of if he could repeat it against Jackson State again or, or whatever, he, he, in my opinion, he was the better quarterback. And I think even Jackson State fans could tell you that. If you if you watch the game on Saturday, there's no way you, you come away with anything other than Bubba was the best quarterback on that on that out of at least the the two guys or three guys because Harold Blood looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, what he was sacked two times on the two plays he played. It's just it, it blows my mind, man. I I can't I cannot believe that Bubba didn't get used till this week, and he did start a game, and they and they had an explosive offense and beat Valley that weekend in a Valley team that was kind of cruising at that point in the season. It's just, it's crazy, man. It it blows my mind, but let, let's get to Jackson. Shane hooks in person. He's just a nightmare. It just seems like it took him some time to realize how to use his frame. I feel like it took him some time to realize like, man, I could just go up here and bully dudes. Five catches, 104, two big touchdowns. And also, man, Rico Powers, that touchdown catch was impressive. That was acrobatic. I, I don't know how he caught that ball. At first, I thought uh, Shador, perfect ball placement, man, but he had to keep it up off the ground, keep keep his position, his body perfectly. Man, Rico Powers made a hell of a touchdown catch. And I, I was super impressed with him uh, th- this weekend. But, man, Shane Hooks was the MVP for the wide receivers. And Shador did his thing, man. 324 touchdowns. I don't know what else you wanted from him in his final game. He he had an outstanding performance this weekend for Jackson State. And I do want to say, man, I need a round of applause to Niles Gaddy, man. There was probably I, I I think it was early in the first half. It might have been that blood series where they put Harold Blood in. Man, Niles Gaddy was unblockable there. Like there were like three or four plays in a row where Niles Gaddy whooped the offensive tackle and they could not block him. He got a big tackle for loss, had a big sack. I mean, they absolutely – Niles Gaddy had one. I I know he had that big performance against Tennessee State. This was an easy second, I think, for one of his best performances of the year. He was unblockable at times in this game. We know what what to expect from Aubrey. Three tackles for loss, a sack, had a big force fumble. Baron Hobson, too, 
really emerged this weekend as someone who had a, who had a big game as well. Justin Reagan made a big play, had the fumble recovery, and Herman Smith did his thing. We saw we saw uh, Cam, I think it was Cam had the big interception. Jack says defense did what they did. I think there was a few times when you look at the stats. Of course, they gave up you know more yards, and I think people would would have liked they gave up 412 yards of total offense. That's a season high. I think this is the first time they've given up over 150 yards passing. They gave up almost 200 yards rushing. And so statistically, I think Jackson State's defense played their worst game of the year, but I still think they they, they were dominant early. And I think the quarterback change kind of shook them up. And then also those those explosive plays take a lot. If you've never played football before, momentum is such a real thing. And when you are shutting down a team, you're – the secondary is locking up. Aubrey gets lost in space a few times, gets juked out by by the quarterback and Bubba, and he 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 breaks one for like twenty. And then he had that huge touchdown run uh, in the second half that really broke things open. I thought the defense played really well outside of a handful of plays they gave up that were that were quote unquote explosive plays. So I think the statistics kind of lie about how dominant Jackson State was for most of the game. Um, I mean, that, that's that's my big takeaways is that Jackson State did what they did, had a big win, and even when Southern was able to close the gap on them, Jackson State was more talent, was talented enough to get out of there with a win. Now it's going to be interesting to see what you know what happens with the transfer portal, who stays, who goes, and everything like that. But man, Dooley has to answer, and the press conference was all weird. Man, listen, I know Prom didn't quote-unquote show up in the press conference. But I don't think people understand either like how hectic that post game was. So they had the stage and, and all that. Guys, when I tell you, they, they put the press conference room in like a – I mean, this thing couldn't be any bigger than like a small bedroom. And you had so many people there. So you had like a lot of cameras like the from the news stations in the back – you had like Stephen Gaither sitting on the floor because there were no seats left. You had people standing like in the aisles where there was no room to walk at all. And I'm standing in the back on like a chair with my camera, like up over the reporter's cameras to try to set up and get a shot. Like it was insane. And I didn't get a chance to ask him, but I'm hoping and and swag media that he's going to have to answer on quarterback decisions because it was a horrible one, and I still don't understand how he he didn't get the starting quarterback right up until the damn near second half of the SWAC championship. But man, let, let me get uh, let me get these calls. I'm gonna go with Mr. Ford, and then seven four eight five. Mr. Ford, you're live. Okay, shut this down. Okay, now, Blue, first thing I want to ask you is that you were at the championship game yesterday. Yeah. Well, if, if it was up to you, if you had to get Southern staff right, would you get rid of the defense coordinator? Would you reassign him? What would you do to that staff to make it a championship staff? What would, What are some of the things you would do? Uh, I love who, the D-line coach. Who would you get rid of or who would you reassign? Yeah, the D-line coach is good with me. Um the secondary maybe. I think you need a I think you need a huge revamp of the secondary. 
Uh, they okay. got some really talented guys. The uh, transfer from McNeese, huge. Right. And some of the young guys from Bowie didn't really – Jordan Carter had a good year, but I, I still think the secondary coach could have done more adjusting. And I think a D.C. Right. change wouldn't be out of the question. But for me, it's still an offensive mismanagement by Julie this year. Because, like I say, I stand on the fact that if he starts the right quarterback – Southern could right. Southern could have went eight and three, easily, okay. no question, because I think the okay. only two games where they weren't the better team were Jackson State and FAMU. In terms of the swag, we know what the LSU game was, but in terms right. of the swag, the only games that I, I think they really would have still lost with a good quarterback potentially is Jackson State and FAM. They should have went eight and three this year, but it was Dooley's decision that cost them that, not necessarily any any other coach. Now, let me ask you this. You know how Dion went out and got Brett Bartolome to change that offense at Jackson State. In your opinion, uh, looking at maybe somebody in the Southland Conference or looking at somebody maybe in the AAC, somebody that you're knowledgeable about, who could come to Alabama State and trans, uh, offensive coordinator, who could come to Alabama State and transform that offense? Mm. Who do you have um, in mind? Do you have anybody in mind I from mean, the Southland or from the AAC or even from the uh, conference out there with uh, North Dakota State and South Dakota State, those places? Who who could we import in here to uh, help prepare De- Demetrius Davis to a higher level? I would love to see him, to be honest with you, with the QB coach over an incarnate word, but I don't know if that's realistic. Uh, I think his name is Mark Lefowich, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. But right now, like, Incarnate Word's really, really considering him to promote him to head coach. And, I mean, if head he coach. gets promoted, right. then Alabama State has no chance. But, you know, outside of that, in the South Wait, Land, what about Chris Hatcher? Does Chris Hatcher have any position coaches up at Stanford that could come to Alabama State as an offensive coordinator? I don't even know who's – off the top of my head, I don't know who's the QB. I'm about to pull it up real quick. I don't know who's his uh, quarterback coach off the top of my head, but that would be a good one because, I mean, if you watched that true freshman last night um, or this or on Saturday, good Lord, that kid is good. He's different. And, this is at uh, Sanford? Yeah. They, they Their starting quarterback went out with an injury, and the backup mm-hmm. put up 400 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah, what about I, it, is there anybody at uh, say Mercer that could come over here? Could come to Alabama State. So for the quarterback coach, it looks like the quarterback coach at Sanford is Chris Hatcher. You know, you got the offensive okay. coordinator and Ricky Turner, but I, I don't think I personally don't think he would come to Alabama State. It's going to be hard to poach someone from a really really successful offense. Because uh-huh. they're they're established there, and Mercer, uh, I mean, they've only really had one like huge quarterback, but it would be interesting to see if they could pull someone from there. I mean, Fred Jones. Well, no, he's the run game coordinator. Their passing game coordinator is Ladante uh, Harris. He's also the wide receiving coach, and he's been a really really good offensive mind and i'm trying to think right where he was before he was because he was at gardner webb he was at clemson he could be a name to look for potentially but 
I'm trying to think of any other really good quarterback coaches that I could think would come. Um, those would probably be the two I would think of. But Mark Lefowitz would be the best one. It's just I don't know right. how realistic he would, you know, how realistic it is that he would take the job. Now, you, how many times did you see Prairie View? This year, I probably watched uh-huh. about five or six games. Do you think they need to change it offense coordinator? I'm going to say no. And here's why. Because they were able – like the OC was able to fit the scheme around what they oh. had and was able to put together multiple different game plans, especially early in the season, to win the game. Like against um, – what was it? Texas Southern. He saw the pass wasn't working. He was able to really, on the fly, switch that into almost like a read option, triple option offense, and they ran for – a million yards on Texas Southern. And then the next week, the run got shut down. He was able to switch on the fly and turn Trazon Colley into someone who threw three touchdowns and they won the game. I thought that was a promising OC performance. I just don't know if they had the overall talent to be a huge SWAT contender this year. Okay, my next question is this. Excluding Jackson State, in your opinion, who has the most complete coaching staff in the SWAT? Excluding Jackson State, in your opinion. I'd oh goodness. Um who has the best coaching staff in the sweat? I'm just trying to run through, make sure I don't leave one. I would still probably say fam. Really okay. and truly. Fam, you. Yeah, I mean I think the results speak for themselves too. Right. With, with the right. way that they're developing talent, recruiting and performing on the field and, and getting those guys in position. I know a lot of people have issues with the DC. But at the end of the day, that's the same D.C. who has coached multiple all-conference players in the Butt Buchanan yeah, Award winner. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Now, let me ask you this. How, how did FAM come out nationally? Did, did, where, where were they? And where, where was their rank in the SWAC? Were they the uh, second-best defense, third-best defense in the SWAC? Where were they statistically? Oh, let's hang on. Let me pull it up real quick. I think, I think they were up there. Let's see. Totals. They had the third best defense in terms of yardage. Jackson State and okay. Southern were one and two. And in terms of scoring defense, they were fourth, where Southern, Alabama State, and Jackson were ahead of them. But Southern is kind of inflated due to those two D2 games they had early in the year. Right. Now, do you agree with me when I said that uh, Alabama State underachieved this year, that they should have won at least eight or nine games? What, what's your thoughts on that? I agree in terms of looking at it like they had a chance to, but I still think, man, for with a first-year head coach who has never coached at the college level, this was still a really right. good year. But that that last loss to UAPB and the way they kind of choked up the FAMU game, I agree right. with you that they, they left a lot of wins on the table, but I still think it was a solid first year for a head coach who had zero coaching experience. Well, let me say this. To, let me ask this also. I feel, and I'm going to ask you how you feel about this, I feel that the SWAT West is just trash. It's terrible. If if Southern is going to represent them in the SWAT championship game, and I got all kind of problems with SWAT, with the Southern coaching staff, what do you say about the SWAT West? Is it trash, or what, what do you think about it? I don't know if I would say it was trash. I think you had some teams who didn't live up to the hype. Because, I mean, 
are, are we comparing them to Jackson? Because then, yeah, like, I mean, you can argue that they're not very good, but I think it well, what I'm to... comparing them to is you send Southern University to represent you in the SWAC championship. Okay, I, you know, you know, I mean, you've talked about it. I, what I saw from Southern yesterday, they got game changing players. They got, like, Coach Fram, like I said, they got dogs. Okay, but the, the coaching staff to me is like one of the worst in the SWAC. I think the coaching staff is just awful. And that, that brings me to another question. In your opinion, how much longer is Southern going to put up with Dooley? Is it, are they going to give him one more year, two more years, or three more years, in your opinion? I think at least two. If I had to guess, I think at least two years because I, I think they put a lot of stock into him. Next year, if he doesn't it finish second or better in the West – it's going to put him on the hot seat. And then the next year, if he regresses, then I think he's probably gone. But at the end of the day, regardless of anyone feels about his performance, he did just take a team in his first year to the SWAT championship. But I think but that earned him something. Isn't it by default because that side of the SWAT is so bad? You can make that argument, but it depends. I, I don't know if that's how Southern's looking at it. At year one, regardless of how you get there, you did get to the right. SWAT championship. And I also do think if he can continue winning the Bayou Classic, that's a big feather in the hat. Okay. Me and you both know I, robbery I games like that. I understand. Yeah, right. if you keep winning those, it keeps you around for a little while. Like, look at Gus Malzahn. He's straight earned extensions when he shouldn't have by just beating Alabama. Right, right, right. Well, Blue, thank you for letting me uh, talk. And you have a good night, okay? Appreciate oh, you, Mr. Blue, Ford. Do you have any uh, do I don't questions? think there I don't think there was any in the chat, but I appreciate you calling in. Okay. Okay. Have a good night, Ed. You too. Go back. Seven four eight five. You're live. Yeah, Blue. This is Margo from the Jet Sir Retro in the chat. Um, okay, so hey, I ain't gonna start off off topic this time. I'm gonna get straight to it, and then I'm gonna get off topic. Okay. Now, bro, seriously. Give me a percentage, man, on you thinking or may not be thinking NDSU going to finish it out this year with the championship, bro. Like, for real. So, if I had to put a percentage on their national title contention, oh, man. If I had to rank teams based on who I think was going to win, they'd be third. I'll put it like that. I would, I think South Dakota State and Montana State have better chances of winning the Natty than North Dakota State, but I put them third. I'd probably give them a. Oh God, it it is so, so tough to put a percentage on it. I'll just say this: they're they're my third favorite to win the na- national championship. Okay, but yeah, but you gotta think about it, Blue. Not taking away from the other institutions, but. Bro, the Bison got a lot of experience in the playoffs in these type of environments, man. You know, it, it's kind of tough, bro. I agree. Listen, it it they have experience, but Montana State healthy at the right time, right? I mean, they they're getting Isaiah Fonzi back, had some key contributors starting to get healthy. You got S- South Dakota State, who is healthy right now, rolling at an all time high, and on top of that. North Dakota State at the at this time is injured. They're losing players to the portal. 
they're facing a lot of issues that other teams have run into in past playoff runs that they haven't had to deal with. So I, I personally think that's the one difference. And I think if North Dakota State wins it this year, outside of you know maybe the earlier national titles, in the past five years, this would be the most impressive national title North Dakota State's won if they find a way to win it this year. Matt Entz deserves all the credit in the world if he finds a way to pull this one off. Mm, indeed. Okay, now I'm going to go with the chat with this one in terms of the conversation between Stephen Campbell and Kaz uh, for the Bison. Uh, do you think this you should hire inside or go outside to continue, I guess I'd say, the spotlight momentum or the the shock value that Jackson has been given, you know, within the past two and a half, three years, I guess? I would hire outside, personally, like, because uh, you got to get a big name. I mean, unless you – I don't think he would take it. I mean, could you get Thurman to take it? I mean, Thurman would be amazing to have as head coach, but I, I don't personally think they're going to hire inside. They'll, they'll give TC an interview, but I would imagine they're going to hire outside, and I, I don't blame on one bit. You've got to try to find a, find someone to continue the momentum you have right now, and you're going to need a name that's going to draw interest and draw eyes and, and catch recruits' attention. And so I would imagine they're going to look for someone outside the program. Okay, but do you think shock value is sustainable, though? Well, I think shock value shock value is different. I don't think you should just go out and hire a guy because you have he has a big name. But there's plenty of coaches and people out there who have the quote unquote shock value name and a hell of a coaching resume. I mean, if the, if they announce tomorrow that Kevin Sumlin is hired, that's a big name, right? And that's going to draw eyes. That's going to be attention. There's going to be a lot of hype around what he could do. In my opinion, that's a shock value hire that has legit coaching experience and is going to be a real threat in the SWAC. Indeed. And the last one, I'm going to end off with this. I tried to ask you earlier, but you didn't want to ask. Man, what you think about Alabama not getting in, bro? And that's all I got, Blue. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Um, I will say – and, you know, I'm, I'm also – I already told you I am going to have a little bit more FBS content as, as we move on. But I, I don't think – I don't think Alabama should have gotten in. I mean, you have two losses. You got you got two undefeated conference champions in Michigan and Alabama in there. And then I think you got two of the better one-loss teams in the country. Because what – the precedent you said if you let a two-loss Bama in over a one-loss TCU is that – you punish teams for going to their conference championship and you reward teams for losing two regular season games, regardless of how and when they were lost. And you reward teams for not even winning their division to get into the playoffs. And I understand the Saban argument of like, what would be the supposed um, point spread against some of these teams. But like I've always said, rankings and resumes are not built on are not built on quote unquote Vegas point spreads or or supposed hypothetical matchups that haven't happened. I've said this in the playoff debate too. They're they're built off of legit games that have already happened. You could say that TCU's resume is trash. TCU has a better resume, a better blonde resume than Alabama. 
They got more ranked wins. They won. They 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 won the regular season conference title, and they lost in overtime to a top ten team in an, in, in a conference championship game. It, a blonde resume test tells you all you need to know. And at TCU had a better resume than Alabama at the end of the day. I mean, you could say if TCU won't beat Bama on 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 the field, that's that's opinion, and we got confirmation bias. There's it. It doesn't matter if they would have or wouldn't have. They got a better resume, and they had one loss. And so they deserve to get in over a two-loss team. And I think this is probably the first year I think the committee got it 100% right, just in my opinion. Yeah, TCU's got like five ranked wins, and they lost to a team they had to play twice by three in overtime. It's crazy. Yeah, I did see that. I did see that, Conrad. There's a good chance he might be the DC, which is going to be a stupid hire if he announces that. They also didn't have to have the ref plate lease. <laughs> Tell them, serve. Tell them, serve. Oh, man. A biggest issue for JSU was finding a quarterback. Shador is the reason JSU was so dominant. He was the best QB by a long shot in the swag. When Shador got hurt in the AM game, JSU was not the same. I agree. It, the that's my that's my thing, Mr. Campbell is Jackson's going to be okay in terms of head coaching, um, a, a head coaching hire. The bigger concern I agree with you is finding a quarterback because you're not going to land another Shador Sanders right now, in my opinion. But there's plenty of good transfer portal quarterbacks that you can go out and get that can be a <clears throat> that can be a bridge until you can recruit a kid from high school or JUCO or wherever. And let's just be honest, Ben Jackson State's in a talent-rich state of JUCOs. Ask, ask Sanford if they like the JUCO market right now for quarterbacks because Michael Hires would set the world on fire right now in the swag. And so you've got to hit the JUCO portal. You've got to hit the JUCO route, and you also got to hit the transfer portal. And it's gonna it's going to come down to can they find a quarterback that, that can offer some, some sort of stability in that program, and we'll see. I, I I don't think I don't think the quarterback that starts for Jackson State's on the roster right now. Just personally, I haven't seen anything for any of the quarterbacks that they have that that makes me confident uh, on their ability to lead them. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, is either the Ohio State kid or the other one is a senior. If I'm not mistaken, is probably going to leave. But I, I will ask y'all this: without knowing Jackson State's coach right now and who they're going to hire or who's going to leave. You know, we know who's probably going to leave and who's probably going to stay. Who is y'all's favorite to win the swack right now with prom, not at Jackson state. Do you think Jackson state still has enough to get it done? Or do you think it's, it's, it's finally time for someone uh, to take over the throne? Cause that's going to be a really interesting. I know we don't know who Jackson State's going to hire, but I'm interested to see because I, I think there's an obvious favorite. Um, hey, man, shout, shout out to Bridges, uh, Bridges on Top, man. Check out the channel. Appreciate you tuning in, man. Paris says she's still betting on JSU. We got FAMU heads down. FAMU, JSU from Sean. FAMU easy. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I like it. I, I think FAMU Jackson's up there. We got an Alcorn. And if not Jackson, fam, you easily. Bama State is my expected best team. Bama State, okay. Fam, you. JSU until a SWAC team shows that they can beat them. I like it. 
I like it. <laughs> no. He said family of coach if Coach Simmons is not in Colorado. Oh man. Not with the QB. They don't uh but yeah, going with family if everyone stays. With with, with what offense or Bama stay. I think is probably the obvious choice. I mean, you got what back to back, um back to back nine and two seasons for Woodley Simmons. Moose is coming back. You're all, your big loss is X at the wide receiver spot. But if I'm not mistaken, Sharid's coming back, and they're probably going to land some big time. Probably going to have a, a, another guy emerge at, at the wide receiver spot. A lot of the offensive line's coming back. You're losing Isaiah Land. You're probably going to have to get replaced. If they can re-land, uh, I believe his name was Raymond Cutts from the JUCO, who had to end up going back to JUCO due to grades. If they can land him at defensive end, that would be a huge addition, man. He had a stupid year at JUCO again up there. I think it was Garden City. He was a DN transfer that that was committed to FAMU and had to go back. Um, and in the secondary, you got some pieces coming back. I think a lot of the young guys really stepped up big this year for FAMU. Um, so I think FAMU would be the obvious one. In the West, though, it's kind of open, isn't it? Because I think Allcorn's primed to – Compete again. Jarvion's coming back. Aaron Allen's going to be healthy. You're going to have to replace C.J. Bowler. A lot of that defensive front's coming back. Um, so I think Allcorn is going to be a sneaky pick in the West next year. I'm just going to throw. I'm just going to throw that um, throw that out there. I really do think Allcorn is a sneaky pick next year to win the West. You know, you got Texas Southern with Andrew Body. We'll see how that team matures and develops. You got Southern if Dooley can find a quarterback. But I, I think outside of that, man, that, that's probably my contenders. But I would say all corner fam, you would be my pick right now to compete. And then, of course, you got Jackson State, depending on who they hire and who they bring in for quarterback and everything. It's fam, you after JSU, but I think JSU is so talented. If they if, if they hold, uh, you'll see them dominate. That's right. Now, Moose is coming back, uh, sir. Uh, Musa still has, I think, one more year of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken. Is Coach uh, Dancy going with JSU to prom? I haven't heard anything. There's been some rumors, Conrad, but I don't know if he's officially going or not. JSU is going to be a good spot for a QB. It depends on what wide receivers stay, Clarence. I agree that if they're able to keep some uh, some of that wide receiving talent, they could be a team that, I think some QBs would flock to, especially also depending on who they hire as well. It's going to be really interesting to see who they hire as the head coach. Crawley to all court. Okay, so I don't know. I, I don't – they'll probably recruit somebody in it, but I would imagine I, – I still think Aaron Allen is going to start the year unless they bring in someone who is crazy good at Alcorn. But if I had to – if I had to bet my money, I still think Alcorn rides with Aaron Allen, who – when he got hurt, people can say what they want about Aaron Allen. When he got hurt, he was third in the swag, if I'm not mistaken, behind Musa and Shador in passing yards. So I don't think Aaron Allen's as bad as everyone wants to throw out there. I mean, I, I pretty, I, I, I really do think Aaron Allen is going to be the starter for Alcorn State next year at quarterback. All my players that didn't get any time, I would just stay at uh, JSU. We had hell of depth that didn't play. That's fair. Who are potential coaches? Well, I said earlier, um, <clears throat> if I had to put three out there, Mike Minter, Willie Taggart, and then my pick, who I don't know if it's possible, I just think they should give him a call, um, is Kevin Sumlin. 
that would just be my that that would just be the three I would throw out there. I don't know if there's any other names that I haven't heard, but um, those would just be the three that I throw out there right now. But you got to remember, man, this is a day old. Who knows where Ashley Robinson is going to go? Coaching searches are always unpredictable early. They're going to lose players to the portal. It's a given. Yeah, uh, Dallas is a senior. So, yeah, Dallas is going to the draft after this season. (laughs) What path do we think is best at this point? Continue celebration ball runs or compete? I'm not touching that. I'm not touching this at all. Dallas, yeah. Uh, Body Crawley to JSU. That's a possibility. I'm telling you, Mentor, it's a choice for JSU. Plenty of other opportunities out there, especially considering NIL. David Shaw would be interesting. Because I do think David Shaw is a good coach. Now, would he want to come all the way down to Jackson? I don't know. But, I mean, David Shaw has a history of winning. Uh, Stanford's such a hard place to win just due to the ridiculous academic requirements. And also, if I'm not mistaken, like, there was all kind of, like, transfer – um like rules like where they could they you to be a transfer to go to Stanford it was like damn near impossible to get in and this is a guy that that went to what three Rose Bowls won two of them went to the Fiesta Bowl and he won three Pac-12 titles and he and he went to the Pac-12 title game five times so he's three and two in those if these kind of got off the rail once the transfer portal was there but he's a He's won the Pac-12 Coach of the Year four times, has history in the NFL. He's never really coached in the South. He's a West Coast guy, but maybe, maybe if he gets a chance, I, I, I like I like David Shaw. That's that's a interesting one. Airbnb too would be an interesting one. I just don't know if um, is like I I know why everyone throws Airbnb out there, but I. I, would he take a college head coaching job is the question. Like, I, I don't know if, like, is he going to leave for anything other than an NFL head coaching job? That's the big question with Eric Bieniemy for me. Is is he really looking for a college opportunity, Paris, or is he holding out for his shot at NFL head coach, which he should have gotten already? But uh, I, I would say I, – I, I'll, I'll be tentative on Airbnb, but if they, they were able to pull that off, that'd be a, an epic hire, to say the least. Like your pig, JSU could save a lot. Mentor, former NFL player, number one recruiter in the FCS. Yeah, man, the heavy restrictions at Stanford. Shaw was screaming against Portal and NIL changes years ago, knowing it would kill him. I've never understood why coaches are just so outspoken about that. I, I don't, bro, you, I, I don't care how hard you fight, man, the – like it's it's changing, man. You gotta, you have, you have to buy into where college football's moving, and I, coaches who can't evolve are going to get left behind. And it happens time after time, and coaches never learn from uh, people's mistakes. I hate when people do that because, like Dabo Swinney with the transfer portal, kills me, man. That he still just won't admit the transfer portal's here to stay. The UNLV job's still open. They could keep that one open. I, I'll let y'all know. The UNLV job is going to be one that's hard to fill. UNLV is a terrible job right now. Uh, EB should just take a job just to show he can coach. That's fair. 
Uh, he could come show. He could be a head coach. Uh, is going to replace Reed and KC. Hmm. I got that. It probably depends on how long, uh, how long, how much longer is Andy Reed going to coach? I don't, I don't know how old Andy, Andy Reed is in, off the top of my head, but it's, I don't know if he, is he close to retirement because if he is, and that's a possibility, but is BNB willing to wait that long? He becomes the JSU, then goes to college. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Lord. I, that's too much, man. Let's keep the coaches selections coming. Uh, have you seen the university change? Yes. Uh, there's going to be – I'm just going to prepare you now, Sean. It's going to be a lot of schools doing this because this isn't – okay. Most of the time, I'll say this because there could be some times I'm missing. Schools – like I think the the misconception is they people think the schools are lowering their academic requirements when – they're not really lowering it. What colleges are running into is progress to degree and things like that are keeping certain kids out of school, even when they have the grade. So the biggest issue right now is the same thing with Isaiah land is where if a kid is majoring and let's just say, what do I want to, wow. What, what major do I want to give them? Um, sports communications. Let's just give it something like that. And, you're majoring in sports communications at FAMU and you want to transfer to Georgia. Well, if Georgia doesn't have a sports communication major, some of those class credits aren't going to be able to like the, whatever the closest major is at Georgia. A lot of those credits aren't going to trans necessarily transfer over at Georgia doesn't have those classes. And so kids aren't getting in because since a lot of his credits don't transfer, it messes up their academic progress and therefore they're not going to be eligible to play. It's kind of what happened to Isaiah land because Auburn didn't have the major that he was having at FAMU or something like that. And so his credits weren't going to transfer accurately and they, and they weren't going to be able to let him in school. And so what Colorado did, and this is probably something problem negotiated, we need to, we need to fix this academic requirement rule and what we're doing to, for transfers so we can allow more kids in. We're not saying they're not saying, Hey, let's, let's allow people in who are failing these classes. They just want to be more flexible with what credits they accept and also finding comparable classes for certain credits to transfer in. So um, that way when players are considering Colorado, they're not, they're not, they don't have to, sit out they don't have to miss time they don't have to be ruled ineligible and so that's what colorado is doing and that's what a lot of people are going to be doing moving forward because schools are tired of losing talented players due to stupid things like that and so they're pushing for more majors to be available in certain colleges and they're also um looking for more comparable classes that way more credits transfer for more players across um across universities. So that's kind of what's happened. I think a big misconception that I've seen on Twitter and other channels and other platforms is that um, they're just, they're lowering the academic standards when really and truly they're just trying to be more inclusive on what they accept from transfers. And it won't just affect um, athletics moving forward. It will help people. And I see in the chat, some people telling their stories, it will help people like that are transfer students not have to be set as far back if they transfer universities. Stanford has very strict approach on how they treat athletics. Academics still number one. It's always going to be number one at Stanford. I agree with that. 
EB turned down the Colorado job back in 2020. That's interesting on that one. Man, I love the hire. I, okay. I love the hire. I still think it's a lateral move for Jamie Chadwell. Hell of a hire from Liberty, but I don't understand why Chadwell took that job, just in my opinion. I still think it's a lateral move for him. All right, let me get this caller, man. I'm going to wrap it up here in the next few minutes. I still think it's a lateral Six, move. 6-4, four, 9-4, four, you're live. Yeah, blue. What's good, man? Hey, what's good, man? It's Conrad Johnson, man. Hey, um, you could just talk to me on the phone. Just turn down your background, like you can mute uh the show yeah, in the dude. background. And just t- okay, cool, man. Hey, I appreciate you yeah. calling in. Yeah, this Conrad, man. Um, I just feel like personally, well, just to give you a little background on me. I got over thirty years of coaching in high school youth and. I coached uh, four years at uh, Morgan State University under uh, Stump Mitchell, who's now the running back coach for the Cleveland Browns. So, and I was telling Ken Clark and Zodi uh, last week how uh, he had the, he had the same opportunity his first year when he took over at Morgan State University in the MEAC. This is back in 90, 90, 95, 97. and uh, and he was telling us. Like, when he first took over, he was like, man, look, we're going to turn this thing around. Hopefully, we'll be gone in two years, and we're going to a bigger payday. So, I mean, you got to understand the level of athlete that Stump Mitchell was and, you know, the level that he coached. And that's sort of the same thing Prime was coming with. You know, my thing is, I think, personally, he didn't he didn't hide. He's always been at a high level in everything he did, playing, coaching. And that's probably something behind the scenes that he probably discussed with his staff that, hey, let's do this, turn this around, and then we're going to go to the next challenge. That's how. I, that's what I think. So, And like I said, you know, he, he did – I think first he did a lot for HBCUs as well as Jackson State, just bringing attention. That's the whole thing. And that's why, you know, he brought attention. And like you, like you heard him say in his press conference, we he taking over Colorado was more or less a – a personal thing where there's not enough African American head coaches on a power five level, so he felt like, you know, this is something that he needed to do to be successful, so he can open doors to others. Oh, hang on, man. My bad, I had myself muted, but um, I agree with you, and at the same time, man, I know what he originally said his purpose was but man he still he still kind of told you what his mindset was to a point it just based on my show earlier I just think people wish he would have been a, a little bit more upfront in their opinion I think everyone at the end of the day outside of a few um a few people who are kind of irrational everyone understands this business at the end of the day it's just there's some people who love their university and wish he was a little bit more honest up front. And also there, there were some people who were very, really upset with his press conference comments, which I will agree. Um, some of them were a bit out of pocket in my opinion, but I, I think everyone will move on in about a week and everything will be cool. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so too. And um, I think what do you think about, well, he recommended T.C. Taylor, so you think T.C. they're going to 
A.D. Robinson is going to keep T.C. Taylor as the head coach or he's going to make him go through the process because they're looking for something to hide he's somebody make, a little bigger. He's going to make him go through the process. He isn't just going to take Prom's recommendation and hire whoever. He's going to. I think T.C. will get an interview. They're going to interview the candidates that is on his short list. And I think I think Ashley Robinson will make the right decision. And I, I know I like Prom, you know, suggesting him. But if I had to guess, I would say TC is not going to be the next head coach at Jackson State. He'll get an interview. It'll be great experience for him. He'll probably be on the next staff. But he ain't going to be the next head coach at Jackson State. And my last question to you, Blue, um, I love your show, as I told you before. And, uh, you know, what do you think about what do you think about Willie Simmons at FAMU? Because I heard today they said something about Prime wants to bring him as a possible offensive coordinator, and which is not a bad idea because a lot of people forget because he's been in that FAMU for so long that he was he was the OC at Clemson where he graduated from before he took over FAMU. So he turned down the quarterback coach job at Clemson. I don't know if Mr. Campbell's still in the chat. I'm pretty sure he turned down a quarterback coaching job a few years back where he would have been the quarterback coach, man, for Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Okay. He would miss, in my opinion. But I, I I don't think Willie should go. But listen, man, when you're talking about an O.C., Man, you're talking about I don't know what Willie's making off the top of my head, probably a few hundred K. Man, you're talking about he's gonna be making well over a million to be an OC at the right. power five level. So it's life changing money and Willie deserves it, man. Hell of a coach. But I would hate yeah. to see the swag lose both prom and Willie in a in a in a few weeks span of time. That would just be tough to overcome because they're both hell they're both amazing coaches and you have two quote unquote like blue blood HBCU programs both lose their head coach in the same year. It would just be tough to overcome. So it's kind of, it'd be like a double edged sword type situation. And it also wouldn't be a bad move because that way, you know, he's still promised to have his his inroads in Florida by bringing Coach Simmons on. So I I can see, you know, why he would want to bring him on some type of role. Yeah, I'm, and that was also the conversation around his staff. So you know, he talked about taking the taking a power five job, considering it due to help to help his staff. He's loyal to his friends, and Dancy and Willie Simmons are two of his closest friends in the swag. So it would make sense that he would want to bring them on for an opportunity to further their career. Because let's say Willie goes to Colorado, kills it as an OC, Shador lives up to the hype, and let's say he's a first round pick like everyone thinks he can be man what if willie gets a head coaching job at the p5 level off of that it's it's Mm -hmm. like leon says in the chat it's a it's building a coaching tree and it's giving opportunities to guys who might not get it on the other hand so uh, i think that's why i said it'd be a bittersweet thing because willie and dancy and some of the other rumor names have all deserved it and earned their shot it would just it would just be tough to see them leave the conference Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, you know, like I said, um, like well, like you said, Coach Coach Simmons and Banty deserve it, man. Because, I mean, they put in the grind. If you see them putting the grind and and putting hours and hours and effort 
and their teams and getting them to play hard, even winning or losing in Banshee's case. I, mean, they, I think they deserve it. You know, I think I, I think they deserve a shot up on that P five, power five level. Hey, I agree with you, man. Hey, I appreciate you calling in, though. Appreciate it. Love your show, man. Hey, thank you, man. All right, man. I'm about to close down the call lines and take these last few comments, man, and get out of here, especially because I think we're at, what are we at, four and a half hours of live streams today? (laughs) It's insane. But Alan asked, I got a question. You think, do I think Grayson McCall should enter, stay at Coastal or enter the draft? He's probably, I would say stay, just because, I mean, man, this quarterback class is loaded right now. But man, I, I, I still think Grayson McCall has NFL potential. Allen, I'm going to say this. I would not be surprised if Grayson McCall at the next level is one of the best quarterbacks we've seen come out in the past few years. I think he has everything you want in NFL quarterback. And if he and, and if he doesn't go to the draft, Allen, I wouldn't be mad if he transfers and tries a shot at power five. I love his film. I think he has everything you want in NFL quarterback. Grayson McCall has been a top five quarterback in college football for three years now, man. So I, I, I w- I'm hoping whatever he does, man, I think he's going to succeed at it. Who does Bethune go after for a coach? Um, I know the Taggart has been rumored. I haven't heard anything. I got to reach out to my Bethune Cookman. Um, I, I got to reach out to my some of my Bethune Cookman people I trust. But Khalil, I'll, I'll let y'all know on the preview. I've been taught. I've been so caught up with prom and traveling and the playoffs that I haven't really even had a chance to see who they've been talking to. But let me do some research over these next few days, man, and I'll, I will. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get you. Uh, I'll get you an update. Start the quarterfinals preview now. Keep. <laughs> uh, do you think the chemistry is intact? Or, I think it's still intact. I think they're going to be committed to winning the celebration ball one last time as a team. I think they're going to be just fine, Chief. Uh, I think JSU is is going to be rolling into. Um, uh, I, they will be fine. I don't know if they'll win the celebration bowl, but I, I don't think they're going to be divided. Nah, man, I was sick before the game. This is me just coming down, and now that I'm kind of chill, chilled out, and I've been talking all day. I've still got like that after effect where my voice is, my throat's still sore, and my voice is kind of in and out. But listen, I, I'm going to be healthy. I'm good. Starting tomorrow, I'll probably should be 100%. But listen, I couldn't miss the SWAC championship. I had to go, even if I wasn't feeling 100%. Highlights of the highlights of the SWAC championship filmed, filmed by your boy will be dropping tomorrow morning. I got amazing content from the SWAT championship, man. The angles and everything. I was able to be at the right spot at the right time for most of the stuff. So, man, huge highlight tape coming tomorrow. Also, pictures from the SWAT championship probably dropping tomorrow as well. Uh, so, man, stay tuned for that on the channel. You got going to the FCS championship. Uh, let me pull up the bracket real quick. I'll make my final predictions, man, to get out of here. Um, as of right now, okay. Give me Montana State coming from the one side. And I, I'm, oh, God. I, I'll say North Dakota State coming from the other side. I give me Montana State over North Dakota State in the national championship. 
Big Free after I talked to him on um talk to him, tell him to follow your heart. What but your heart? Bro, if you talk to Grayson McCall, man, tell him to hit me up and we'll get Grayson on the channel for you, man. I would love to do an interview with Grayson McCall. Need to stay healthy for the podcast game. Yeah, Austin P is discussing a move to FBS. Emmett, I will say I think there's a lot of hoops they're gonna have to jump through first. I don't think they're ready now. We'll see. They're gonna have to make the proper steps over the next few years to get ready. But um I would say I would say they, they got a long way to go, but they are looking at it. I'm trying to see what this breaking news is that Sean just posted in the chat. So the tweet that Sean just put in the chat, y'all can click on it. Josh Newberg from On3 said, A source at Colorado tells me over 200 recruits and portal transfers have reached out in the last 12 hours. Some of them are four- and five-star caliber players. Deion Sanders has a chance to make some noise before signing day. NIL money is also rolling in, I'm told. So that's the tweet there. Um, it's going to be insane to see what happens over these next few weeks. But listen, guys, I appreciate y'all so much, man. If you're looking for a quick recap, man, G.J. Kenny, we talked about him going to Texas State. Montana State, big win over Weaver State in the rematch. Incarnate Word with a comeback win over Furman. South Dakota State, William & Mary were dominant this weekend. North Dakota State ran the ball all over the Grizz. Sanford, overtime win over SLU. Holy Cross with a big win over New Hampshire. And Sac State with a comeback win over Richmond. Jackson State wins their wins back-to-back SWAC championships before the departure of Prom. But guys, I appreciate y'all tuning in. I'm going to try to get healthy. Listen, highlights for Jackson State from the SWAT championship dropping tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know about any press conferences I have dropping tomorrow. I'll let y'all know. Pictures will be, dro- be dropping on the website, thebluepluspod.com. Uh, roundtable on Thursday. Quarterfinal previews on Wednesday night. Uh, my birthday is on my birthday is on Tuesday. I don't know if I'm going to have anything dropping Tuesday, but probably probably uh, something small. We'll have the coach's corner this week. We could have a big special guest, so stay tuned for that. But, guys, until next time, the Blue Bloods are out. Hit the like button and the subscribe button, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Mm-hmm.